All right, I want to welcome you to uh, Neighborhood Bible Church this morning. Good to have you. Kids, you're going to stay in with us for a couple of minutes, and then we're going to dismiss you. I want you to think of something right now. I want you to try to think of your family, uh, and we're entering into a season where many of us will be spending extra time with family and whatnot. I want you to try to wrap up your family and describe it in one word, okay? So get that one word into your mind, and I'm going to ask for some volunteers. This morning, there's going to be a lot of uh, participation from, from our church family here, um, so when you have that word, uh, go ahead and raise your hand, and I want to hear some descriptors of the family. Now, this is beautiful, because as the kids' hands are going up, the parents are going, oh, please, Lord, please let it be a good word. Olivia, what do you got? Crazy. Crazy. Yes, I like that. Supportive. Supportive. Annoying. Okay. Maureen. Wonderful. Dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. <coughs> Wonderful. Okay? In, way in the back, Haley. What is it? Odd. <laughs> I thought you said cod, which would be really odd because that's a kind of a fish. Yeah. Funny. All right. All right, we could go on and on like this, right? Uh, isn't, it, isn't it hard to take your family, though, really, and put it into one word? Because, frankly, as I've heard everything... Uh, so far, my family is all of that except for cod. It has never been cod, uh, but it's really been all of those words before because families are complex and there's so many different people and there's so many different seasons of, of, of being a family. Um, this morning, I bring that up because of this. A lot of times people ask what our church is like. They'll come and, and say, um, hey, what's your church like? You know, you might be excited about your church and you're talking about it and they'll say, well, what's your church like? And it's really hard to take your church family, your spiritual family, and, and wrap it into one word. It'd be really difficult to, to, to do that. But this morning, I want to just, I want to just give you a little peek kind of under the hood. Because, uh, if you have guests into your home, they would look around and they would see decorations. They would taste the kind of, you know, food that you're cooking. Uh, they, they would get some sense of who you are. Um, but they wouldn't really be able to see kind of what makes your family tick. They wouldn't really get to know you. Go on vacation with them, right? And then you might start to get to see some of what really makes that family tick and what really makes them go and what they're really all about. It's very similar with the church. With the church, you can come and kind of see decorations, see how they present themselves, these different things, but it's hard to get a sense of, of what really makes a, a, a family tick. Uh, this is a this is a, a scene. It's a visual representation that you're going to see any second, right there. It's a visual representation of um, of just trying to communicate visually some of the things that that we're about as a church. Um, what we've done is we've 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 already taken our mission, which was given to us by Jesus Christ. It's really powerful to think about Christians today. Um, who who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they've already been given their mission statement. So, so any church that has a mission statement different than what the Lord Jesus Christ handed on down, by default, isn't a disciple, isn't a follower of him. Now, there's all kinds of different churches. You say, well, how can that be? There's different nuances to how churches express that and how they go about it. But the mission is really clear, and it's on the screen uh, in, in red. It's make disciples. That's what he said to do. As, as he left, he said make disciples. So that's what we're about. So fundamentally, whenever we talk about budget, whenever we talk about buildings, whenever we talk about program to do or not to do, we're always thinking back, is this helping accomplish making disciples or not? There are a thousand and one rabbit trails to get off into in life, and it's no different in church life. 
There's all kinds of things we could talk about and dialogue about and discuss and debate. And many churches um, have this pull just to, to get away from their fundamental core thing that they're about, which is to make disciples. By God's grace, we just continually pray, Lord, keep us on task. Keep us doing that, making disciples. Now, what we've done is we've taken three words that we think um, really kind of uh, encapsulate what a disciple is about, and it shows both, uh, both what, what we're doing. What does a disciple look like? And it also shows a process. Look in the upper left-hand point of the triangle. It says worship. Worship isn't singing on, on, on Sunday mornings with other people. That's music as a part of corporate worship. But worship is a much bigger picture. And really, fundamentally, what worship is, is being in a right relationship with God. So, so all of discipleship making is about, about reconciling people who were distant from God and bringing them back to God. Okay? That's worship, fundamentally. That's the starting point. If you go down the triangle, you see the word community. And in the scriptures, what you see over and over and over is this. It's impossible to be a biblical Christian as a lone ranger. It's impossible. You cannot fulfill the myriad of commands that talk about loving one another, serving one another, putting up with one another when your family's annoying kind of a thing. You can't do that if you're all by yourself, right? Even if you're schizophrenic and you have multiple personality, you still can't do it. You're not fulfilling the biblical picture. So you have to be in community. And that's what the local church is about. God has brought a spiritual family together. And as people are reconciled to God, they're brought in, they're welcomed into a spiritual family. So that's why we're talking about this. Now, the third part of this is moving on to share. And the word share around Neighborhood Bible Church, when you hear that word, here's what I want you to conjure up. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about two things primarily. If I have two popsicles and I break it in half and it's a really hot day, and Madison, let's say you're sitting there looking really hot and sweaty and I'm holding this, what do you think the right thing for me to do as your friend would be? To share. Who said that? Ding, ding, ding. You got it. So the right thing to do is break it in half and, and take it and share, right? We know in kindergarten that's the right thing to do. We know that to sit there and have two of them while it's hot there, it, it brings joy to every mom and every dad and every aunt and every grandparent and every caretaker of a child when your child just voluntarily shares because they had, they had some and someone else had none. We're going to get no more fancy or no more, no more complex than that as one half of our share meaning. It simply means this. As the Lord blesses you with material possessions, you don't just look at that and say, how can I store up more and more and more for myself? Rather, we look to share and give it away. As the Lord blesses you with energy and time and a phenomenal brain and an ability to help other people who don't have that ability... It's just, oh, it's just a means of saying, how can I give this away? God's blessing me. How can I give that away? So that's, that's the fundamental part of share. Everyone gets that part of share. For a Christian, the, the whole other part of share is this. It's different, but it's tied into it. It's tied into it because the best thing I could possibly share with another person is a path that leads to Jesus Christ is the plan of salvation that says wrath is coming for your sin 
And lest you don't think you sin a lot, let's just measure you against the law that God gave to us. We all are sinners. That's the message of the, of the scriptures. And so the plan of salvation is the best thing I could share. Christians sometimes call that evangelism. It's sharing your faith. It's sharing the love of God. It's sharing the warning of God on the wrath to come against sin. It's sharing the joy and the love of God by being a tangible. So these actually really morph into one another. But when you see the word share around here, here's what I want you to think. I want you to think sharing the love of God through the gospel and sharing your life, your stuff, your talent, your your, your money, and your time. Got it? So, we are entering into, uh, oh, and one more thing, for those of you who are new to this. Um, in the center is, is a play button. Play buttons now are super common. Many of you have a play button sitting in your pocket somewhere right now. Um, and and it's, it's, just, it's just a little button that you hit, and on your iPod, on your iPhone, on your you know, Galaxy, whatever you use, some of you are still walking around with a Walkman, a Sony Walkman. Kudos. I mean, that is awesome. That's rocking it old school. But it still has a play button. And when you push that play button, here's what it is. It's an act of faith. You don't have total understanding of all that makes it tick to, to make that thing go and to, and to get the sound coming out that you want. But it's an act of faith to, to, to do that. And that's representative of this, that there's a miracle that takes place when someone's born again. An utter miracle. And there's a mystery to discipleship making that can never be manufactured into three cute little things of a triangle or four simply neat cut classes that we just manufacture. We just walk them through. We go, well, there, we're, we're making disciples. Rather, there's a giant mystery to it. And there's an act of faith to just keep pushing the play button saying, Lord, I'm going to keep doing what you've told me to do, which is to proclaim the, 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 the gospel, which is to... Love my neighbor as myself. And by faith, I'm pushing that play button. I don't need to understand all of it. In fact, I'll never understand all of it, but I'm going I'm to keep at it. We are moving into, um, just now through the end of the year, actually in, into early part of next year, what we're just calling the season of share. The season of share. And that's something that you're going to see on the way in. Um, and, and, uh, and today, just, just by wrap-up, is the last day for Operation Christmas Child Boxes. Uh, some of you thought that was a coat check in the back. It's not. Those things are going to the San Francisco homeless tonight. So if you left your coat back in the shopping cart, get it back unless you want to donate it. Um, so that's, by the way, uh, 3.30 here at the church. Um, I'll drive you over to the church we're partnering with. Eight bucks for BART. It's all in the city. Come join us and pray with people in San Francisco. Um, these are just some of the things that are uh, indicative of that. Yesterday, we had some women come. Uh, maybe men came too. I don't know. That was... Uh, yeah, um, so it was an assumption. Um, just to sew dresses for orphans around the world, and it was neat. As some of our kids were heading off to a concert, uh, other people were walking in with their sewing machines and that kind of thing. Uh, we're entering into this season of share, and today is going to be um, a service really about thanks, and we're going to talk about about Thanksgiving. Now, um, kids, I need you to look at the screen for a moment. As you look at the cover of your bulletin this morning, this is the title. And as you look at what's on the screen, this is the title. And, and, uh, and here's what's interesting. Just by seeing this, um, you, you really can't tell a whole bunch of, of what it might mean. And that's because body language has so much to do with it. Okay, watch my face for a minute, okay? Are you with me, kids? Are you tracking? Okay, adults, you can watch too. Um, there's different ways to say this. And until I say it, until you hear me say it, you don't know what I mean by it, okay? Here's, here's number one. One is this. 
Thanks. What did I just say? Help me out. Talk to me. Thanks. Yeah. What else? Like it wasn't really helpful, right? Like I didn't mean it. Kind of snotty. Kind of ungrateful, right? I know I'm not the only parent who has seen this look before, okay? That's one way of saying thanks. Now, here's another one. I could walk up and I could say, thanks. What does that mean? Thanks. But here's what, here's what it might mean. It might mean this. It might mean that socially the appropriate thing to do in this situation is to say thanks, but it's kind of a plot. Did you? If I rewind it and go in slow motion, you'll notice there was just a slight little, little head nod. That's just a, a, you know, a little polite thank you. You know, like not a huge deal in my life, but I know I'm supposed to say thank you right now. Not life-altering, nothing like that. Just, just kind of thanks, okay? Now, now here's one more. Here's one more. Three different ways of saying thanks. The last one is this. This is so life-altering, I, I can either barely whisper it out, because it means so much to me, or I just want to, like, scream it out and run and give you a bear hug and tackle you, because I'm, I'm so overjoyed by what just happened to me. Let me have you turn your Bibles to Luke 7. As you turn to Luke 7, I wanted the kids in there to see three different ways of saying thanks. Um, you are all now dismissed, children, to your classes. Okay, you can go to Luke 7 if you'd like. Those of you who are staying, turn to Luke 7. I just want to show you a scripture. In Luke 7 is a scene that is fairly indicative of Jesus' life and ministry, and it's this. There's all kinds of people who come to Jesus, and Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house, to a respected religious teacher's house for a meal, and it says that a woman of the city, a sinner, heard that he was there, and so, and so came to the house, and totally against protocol, many of you would, would catch this, that she is there, and she begins to lavish him with with tears and wiping his feet, washing his feet with her tears and wiping it with her hair. And she has this alabaster jar of perfume and she does this extravagant thank you gesture basically to, to, to Jesus. And, um, and, and all those kind of notables in society are there and they're all whispering and wondering to themselves, thinking if this guy was a prophet, surely he would know what kind of woman. Now, you don't need to be a prophet to see what kind of woman this is. And yet he's allowing this to go on. So indicative of Jesus' life is this. All kinds of people come to Jesus. We just celebrated communion as a church family. Here's the beautiful thing. All kinds of people come to Jesus from a lot of different backgrounds. And yet we come to this common table and we share in the receiving of forgiveness, understanding, Lord, thank you for this gift of a reminder of the grace that covers our sins. So indicative of Jesus is that all kinds of people come to to him. And then also indicative of Jesus is that people are about to, uh, to hear a story and think they're kind of getting one thing and they're going to walk away with this weighty, weighty other thing. We pick up the story in, um, in verse 40. What's interesting is uh, 39. Look at 39. It says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, this display by the woman, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this was touching 
him, for she is a sinner. I don't know if he audibly mumbled that to himself, but it's interesting what verse 40 says. It says, and Jesus answering said to him. I mean, it would be really crazy to have an inner thought and then have Jesus answer that thought, right? That's, that's what I see going on right here. And what's funny, what's ironic in all of this is what's Simon accusing him of not being? A prophet who would certainly know these kinds of things. And here's Jesus answering what he just said to himself. Verse 40. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Not in view in the story here, really, um, is, you know, we can, we can get into the, the nuance of what the customs were and all of that. But here's one of the big ideas that I want you to, to, to draw out of, is that the response of love, the response of gratitude is in proportion to the perceived gift, right? So, so, that, so that as the gift is large, there's, there's much love coming back. I've been forgiven much. I had a giant debt, and I'm aware of that debt, and so I'm going to love much. Or uh, kind of a polite nod. I had a smaller debt. And I want to just move that as we, as we are going to enter into a time of getting to share this morning. Um, I want to move it into this thinking that he who's been forgiven loves much. And a natural outflow of someone who's been forgiven and loves much is that they are thank-filled, that they are thankful. It's just a natural... You can't even, you can't even try to muster it up. It's just a natural outflow of it. I have an understanding of how much I was forgiven, and so therefore I love much. And a natural outflow of that is that I'm filled with thanks. Conversely, the one who's been forgiven little, or at least has little understanding of how much has been forgiven, loves little, and therefore the outflow is they are thankless. They're not filled with gratitude, they're, they're thankless. Going back to our three ways of saying thanks, some say thanks and are snotty and are scoffing at God because they have no understanding of the bondage that they're in. They have no understanding of the wrath to come for their sin. They're happily in their sin. And they say, God did something for me. I don't even care about any of that. And so there's a snotty thanks to it all. Many in our country are still at least polite toward toward certain concepts of God and religion. And so what they'll be is, they'll, they'll even be sitting in churches and they'll give kind of a polite nod. I know it's the right thing to not be snotty toward God, but it certainly isn't life-changing for me, so it's just thanks. I'll send a thank you note. And then there are those who are so utterly aware of the grace of God and what 
what the life-saving, life-altering rescue of the gospel has done in their life and what forgiveness really is about, that maybe like this woman, they, they don't even fit in well to our churches because they upset the establishment with their displays of, I, I'm sorry I cry every week, or I, I'm sorry I'm just so worked up, but, but it's just such a big deal. I'm so thank-filled. Think back to the beginning for a minute. In the garden, you had, um, you had bliss, really. You had God, you had garden, you had creation, and you had this perfect relationship going on. And then temptation enters. And fundamentally, this temptation was something along these lines, that God is holding out on you. Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and, and he throws out a question, did God actually say? And he starts questioning God's word. But at the heart of it is this, God is holding out on you. These instructions that he's given you are not for your good. But, but that he's holding out. And what's there in the very beginning is discontentment. I mean, think about it. 99 right choices, one wrong one. What's fascinating about the in the beginning portion of this is that he, Satan doesn't come you know, dressed like that typical death guy with a big dark hood and, and come after Adam and Eve that way. I'm going to drag you to the pit. You know, that's not how he comes. He comes and just begins to plant these seeds. Here's all this good. I'm going to just bend it and just distort it a little bit. I'm just going to plant some seeds of discontentment in there. And the reality is we, as descendants, have been battling this fundamental sin ever since. Discontentment. If you go to the end, uh, you have 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3 is talking about end times. Okay, And here's what, here's what Paul's writing to Timothy. He says this. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander one another and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that, is his instruction. Here's what I want you to catch in the end. In the end, ungratitude, being ungrateful, is heaped in all this other junk, all these other bendings and distortings of good things that that God gave. Here's ungratitude lumped right in the middle of that. So this morning is a testimony service. What we're going to do is we're going to sing a couple of songs right now. We're going to continue in worship by receiving our offering here in just a moment. And the the bulk of the rest of the time is going to be coming from you. I'm just going to really ask you to share. What is it you're thankful for? We have Thanksgiving coming up, um, which obviously is tied into that. But but as, 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 as an individual, as a family, as a couple, What is it that you're thankful for? What is God doing? And we're going to have opportunity to give praise. But but it's bigger than that. It's bigger than just giving kind of a cute, polite nod to God. This is actually combating this ungratitude that that can well up in us. It's weeding our heart's garden and saying, I'm yanking discontentment out of there. I'm yanking ungratitude out of there. And one of the best ways to combat that is by focusing on all the good things God has blessed us with rather than focusing on all that stuff we don't have.
right? So we're going we're gonna to move into that. Um, let me read a verse, and then, and then we'll pray and sing some more. 1 Timothy 6, 6 is this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Father, I thank you for this morning. I pray, God, that you would move in our hearts and minds, uh, Lord, to be able to see clearly this bliss it is to be in relationship with you. I pray, God, that as one another shares, that it would have a way of buoying up and lifting up those of us, God, who are cast down and who are low. I pray, God, for those whose eyes right now are fixed on what we can't take with us. God, that, that words spoken in this room would have a way of steering and lifting our thoughts to what's eternal and what's even more real than the things that we see and touch. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks to a songwriter from long ago, we just got things started by singing uh, some, of what we're, some of what we're thankful about. Um, you don't need to turn there, but in First Chronicles 29, there's a scene where David's a king, and he's wanted to build a temple for the Lord, and God basically says, you're not going to do it, too much bloodshed on your hands, but your son's going to do it, Solomon. So he helps out his inexperienced son by, by asking the people to bring things. And there's a detailed list of all that the people come and bring, just free will offering to make the house of the Lord great. And here's what he says in First Chronicles 29.10. It says this, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And I think that's instructive for us, that as we gather, we are calling out the blessings of God in front of one another and saying it and speaking up. I say this often when, we, when I challenge you and invite you to share in here. A lot of times it's not for your own good that God's prompting you to stand up and give testimony with your mouth. It might be for someone across the room from you or a couple rows back that needs to hear and be reminded of some of the same things you're thankful for. He goes on to say this. I'll just read a couple verses to kind of prime us. And then um, the way this will work is you'll just stand up in your chair. I'll acknowledge you. You'll stand up in your chair. Uh, just, just speak speak to us. Tell us what you're thankful for. Uh, and, then, and then we'll go from there. It says, And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God. And praise your glorious name. So like King David did long ago, let's, let's thank our God, praise our God in the assemblies. You know, church, a gathering like this all together becomes really imperative when you're, when you're sharing, when you're giving, when you're pouring out. It becomes a place where you can come and be, and be re-energized and just let your guard down and be filled up again. Um, and and, and this is, it's a beautiful thing as you're pouring out. And so many of you, I just look across the faces, I know many of the stories and ways that you're giving. And several of you this week have called and said, I don't think I can give an inch more of this. And we're just praying, going, well, by God's grace, you know, let's just keep at it. 
Let's just, let's just keep watching the miracle of God filling you back up as you continue to give. And much like disciples being handed sandwiches and stuff to give out, you know, uh, the, the refilling is part of the story. It's part of how, how miraculous it is that God's there. But, but here, here's what's great is this kind of thing is going on all the time. It really is. A part of what midweek community groups are coming and just, just rehearsing the story of God's grace unfolding in your life and talking about it. And then, and then needing wisdom. Hey, I've got these health issues. I don't want to end up here. How do I get over here? And, and opening the scripture saying, what does God have to say about this? And walking with, with one another through this. So I love that we get to do this kind of formally once in a while. If you say, man, this is great. Why don't we do this more often? Make it happen. Um, again, Starbucks pays a ton of money to have a really nice little place to meet for free. Okay? Well, okay. Maybe you have to spend a buck fifty on coffee, but... Um, let, me, let me close with a scripture um, as we head into uh, not only Thanksgiving, but maybe you know, just beyond that too. And, and um, as Paul mentioned, Paul's got, a, Paul's got us probably all beat with 14 brothers and sisters in his family. Um, but getting together with family, what I recognize is this. Right now, there's been a season of death for, for many uh, in this room. It's a season of declining health for others. It's a season of brand new birth and brand new babies that we get to go visit and, and love on in the nursery and, and in hospitals and whatnot. Um, and then for others of us, us, it's Interstate 5, right? I mean, it's, it's that, it's that in-between time. Nothing huge going on, nothing, you know, nothing good or bad in the, in the giant thing, but, but just the doldrums of life or whatever else. Um, as we enter into, into being with family um, and recognizing that the whole gamut of that is, is there, let me just read for you the last part of Romans 12. Um, and some of this may fit for your family because you have a great family and they're so supportive and it's just going to be such a great thing to be together. Others of you, uh, it's, a, it's a real season of struggle even just to get to go be with family. Um, but let this apply as it will either to your biological family or your spiritual family here. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, I pray that as we dismiss, as we dismiss with a song in our heart, God, uh, and with these words of um, just your goodness, I heard several times what a great God we serve. Lord, help us to rejoice in the hope that we have. I pray that it would affect our lives, God. We don't want to just sing about it and talk about it in a church service. Help us to live it. Just these few verses you've given to us, they require a born-again spirit. They require new life. 
heart of flesh where once there was a heart of stone. God, would you revive us? Would you fan into flame uh, the gift of faith that you've given to so many? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.